Hello, and welcome to this podcast presented by the Southern Alberta Council on Public Affairs. Welcome to our guests and to all of you, our to our speakers and to all of you. Thank you for coming. We want to remind you to turn off your cell phones, even though this is going to be a media presentation. I'm Bev Mundell-Atherstone, and just to remind you that this session will be recorded. Please put $11 in the basket and have someone at each table verify the, the amount before it's collected for lunch. Just a reminder, SOCPA is a volunteer nonprofit organization. It relies on contributions of members and session attendees like yourself to continue its work. You can get a membership from Lisa over here to my right. Thanks to our partners, the University of Lethbridge, for supporting distribution of notices, to Country Kitchen Catering for the great lunches and their uh, ability to feed us no matter what the numbers, Shaw TV for broadcasting our sessions on Sundays at 4.30, and to the Lethbridge Herald, as well as other media who cover our sock play events. Today our meeting will be 25 to 30 minutes for our presenter, lunch, and then a question period finishing around 1.30 p.m. Just to mention... I'll tell you now about what's coming in, up in the, in the future because we've got two events coming up. Tuesday night, April 9th, we will have a special session of SACPA at the, universe, at the public library. Uh, it's a special session in partnership with the library. Are recent cuts to Alberta post-secondary education justifiable? And the speakers are Shannon Phillips, Bill Ramp, Bob's, Rob Sutherland, Chris Nicole, uh, Julie Aldoff, Leyland Bradley, and Armin Escher. Next Thursday, our session will be Should Taxpayers Support the Redevelopment Plan at the Lethbridge Exhibition Park? That will be here. As our speaker will be Rudy Friesen and moderator Diane King. It's my pleasure to present to you today our speaker, who will be Kim, speak, Kim Seaver, who will speak on citizen journalism, unaccredited, uncertified, illegitimate, and popular. The face of the news is ever-changing. It's estimated that 46% of people get their news online at least three times a week, and almost every news entity has turned to virtual media to keep up with the demand. Online news review revenue now generates more than print newspaper revenue. And over 50% of people have learned about breaking news through social media rather than official news sources. Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, Google, and the other social media platforms make sharing and accessing the news easier than ever while mobile phones and devices that we, that we can be constantly turn, tuned into and connected. What implications do these technologies and new ways of exchanging information have for the future of journalism? The ongoing transition from print to digital and the rise of the amateur citizen journalist 
are events that have been assessed quite critically. Now that any one of us can act in an immediate journalistic role, questions arise around legitimacy and accountability. Almost 50% of people reported that they received a breaking news update through social media that was later discovered to be false or incorrect. Who takes the blame when a false story goes viral on the internet? When high-profile news outlets participate in social media and every news anchor reports through a Twitter handle alongside citizen journalists, how should the legitimacy of news stories be assessed? Our speaker today will discuss the legitimacy of non-institutional news reporting and how outlets of such news might be held to a higher standard if something goes wrong. He will also attempt to address how larger media outlets can be held accountable for their reporting and what citizen journalism has meant in the coverage and evaluation of news in Lethbridge. Join me in welcoming Kim Seaver. Thank you, everybody, and good afternoon. So before I go into my presentation, I just wanted to give you a little bit of background on uh, why I am the person who's speaking on citizen journalism. I'm the editor-in-chief for Lethbridge News, which is a citizen journalism uh, news source here in Lethbridge. We started about two and a half years ago, the summer of 2010. Uh, about half a dozen of us got together, and we realized that there was, at the time, a, uh, a need for citizen journalism in Lethbridge we felt that what was lacking in media coverage of news in Lethbridge was timely release of information. At the time, uh, news consumers had to wait until the five o'clock newscast or wait until the paper came out the next morning or perhaps listen to uh, the news on the radio when the songs, the, the playlist had finished playing. And we felt that it, there needed to be more than that. There needed to be more timely. And we felt as well that another thing that was missing was the validation of the average person's access um, to information. So if someone, for example, was driving down the street and saw an accident, nobody would report on it unless that information was related to the media outlets and then they would send somebody out to report on it. And so we felt that that there was there was an important uh, an important opportunity there to be able to cut out that middleman and give validity to um, to those people. So we now are standing at about twelve volunteers who work with Lethbridge News, including me. We are at about eleven thousand followers, readers, subscribers, whatever you want to call them. We are the most popular online news source in Lethbridge. And we are only 7,000 subscribers away from passing Lethbridge Herald's print subscriber base. So, and we've been able to accomplish that in, uh, with no money and uh, in only two and a half years. And we're really looking forward to what, uh, what the future holds for Lethbridge News. And so I'm not going to be really, I'm going to be talking about citizen journalism generally, but also from the context on, on what role Lethbridge News has to play in news coverage in Lethbridge. So just to start off with, you know, what is citizen journalism? Well, Jay Rawson, who's a media critic and professor, professor of journalism, he says that when the people formerly known as the audience employs the press tools they have in their possession to inform one another, that's citizen journalism. 
Author and teacher Dan Gilmore says that citizen journalism is the result of the digital era's democratization of the media. Now, democratization of media is a really interesting term because there's a lot to play there. You know, traditionally, media, the traditional media outlets have been have seen themselves as gatekeepers of information. They receive the information, they decide what information they send out, and how they send that information out. And prior to this democratization, releasing information was in a one-way format. There was no reciprocity. And the only information they saw fit to print was the information that consumers received. And consumers only were able to receive that information if they consumed the source that the news outlets were using, so whether it's a TV newscast, a radio broadcast, or the, uh, the print version of the newspaper as well. Now, there are two things that Dan Gilmore says allows for the democratization of media. Those two things are wide access to powerful, inexpensive tools of media creation, and the other is wide access to what people created via digital networks. And really what this comes down to is blogging and social media, or rather, blogging and social media platforms or tools. And being able to start up a news source is relatively inexpensive. It costs only a few dollars to purchase a domain name, and it costs only a few dollars per month to be able to purchase a hosting package. But even so, you could start up a news source without putting any money up front. There are sources out there that allow you to um, host your own information. They'll host it for you. I mean, you have limited features and that sort of thing. But there is, there is an opportunity for you to be able to provide it up. So the costs are low. Um, now, that brings me to my next point, and which ties into the, uh, the title. Unaccredited, uncertified, and illegitimate. And I, when I chose the title of this presentation, I chose those three words on purpose because those are things that Lethbridge News has been called by people in the general public and by some members of the traditional media here in Lethbridge as well, which is kind of interesting because there is no accreditation process to start up a news agency. There's no certification process to start up a news agency. If someone wants to start up a newspaper, they can. And we saw that relatively recently in Lethbridge with the Lethbridge Journal, which not too long ago was purchased by the Lethbridge uh, Herald. But anybody could start up a, a TV station or a radio station. Granted, those three things, newspapers, radio stations, TV stations, require a lot of startup capital. And so most people don't do it. But regardless, the point being that there is no accreditation process or certification process and so it's interesting that those things, those are things that Lethbridge News and citizen journalism in general are referred to as in, as if it was a way to discredit them when there is no discreditation because they're just as credited and just as certified as traditional media outlets. But that brings us back to the question of what makes a news outlet legitimate. Well, a writer, Stephen Outling, said that citizen journalism isn't one simple concept that can be applied universally by all news organizations. In fact, he says that there are 11 layers of citizen journalism, and all news outlets have some sort of aspect of citizen journalism embedded in the way that they um, distribute their news. 
So I just want to go through those 11 layers. The first one is public comments. And we, we see news, I'm sure all of us have come across news websites that allow public comments. Lethbridge Herald is a good example of a news outlet that allows public comments. So a lot of news outlets, they moderate their comments, but regardless, they allow the public to comment on, on news articles and give their input and context to the story rather than just depending on the viewpoint of the person who's, who's written the story. Uh, the second layer are, is an add-on reporter, and that's basically when uh, a news reporter will go into the public and get their feedback on a specific issue. Or they might use a public member's uh, photograph to uh, um, augment a story. So you've probably watched the, the evening news on TV and an issue comes up and they'll go into the public and they'll, get, they'll talk to three or four people and they'll put their feedback, their opinions as part of the news, the news uh, story. That would be an example of add-on reporters. Or you've probably seen an article in the Lethbridge Herald where there's an accompanying photo not taken from Herald staff but from a citizen who happened to be on scene. That too would be an example of an add-on reporter. The third layer would be open source reporting. And this is basically when the readers of the news collaborate with reporters on the stories. And examples of this, an example of this is the spokesman review. The fourth layer is a citizen blog house, and that's when news agencies have non-reporters writing blog posts on the news website. Oftentimes, these will be about upcoming events, or it might be a review of you know, a, a film or a movie, that sort of thing. And examples of this would be Bluffton Today, Lawrence.com, The Denver Post, NJ.com. The fifth layer is Newsroom Citizen Transparency Blogs. And these are basically blogs that talk about um, the process in the newsroom. Talk about how, you know, how news articles get published, what, what goes into uh, creating the news, uh, news article, the interview process, those sorts of things. An example of this, again, Spokesman Review. Sixth one is a standalone citizen journalism site, but that it's edited. So this basically means that citizens are able to write news stories, post them on the website, and then the news agency edits those stories. An example of this, or, or examples of this, are My Missourian, Westport Now, iBrattleboro.com, Greensboro News, and Record. Uh, the seventh layer is the same thing, except it's unedited. And you can see a progression. Um, along all of these layers. A lot of control at the beginning, and then less and less and less control, more autonomy as it progresses. So the seventh layer is a standalone citizen journalism site, and they have complete editorial control over their own content. The news agency, all they basically do is host that content. An example of this are backfence.com, ghostgokoki, getlocalnews.com, newwest, and dailyheights.com. The eighth layer is a print version, which makes sense, going from a completely unedited version of the blog and turning that into a print version and being able to distribute it. Examples of this are My Town, Neighbors, Northwest Voice, Your Hub, and Bluffton Today. The ninth layer is pro and citizen journalism, which is similar to the open source reporting I referred to earlier, except in this case, they're not just doing Reader. They're not just using readers, collaborating with readers, they're collaborating with citizen journalists. So specific people in the public who are, uh, who are writing news articles with the reporters. And examples of this are the Bluffton Today, ohmynews.com, 
Green and Greensboro News and Record, again. The tenth layer is that all of this is integrated into one route. So not only they've taken the collaboration between the citizen journalists and the professional journalists and moved it into the news agency's uh, location. And the final layer, the eleventh layer, is wiki journalism. An example of this would be Wikimedia, or sorry, Wiki News. Wikimedia is the company that operates Wiki News and Wikipedia. Wiki News, and where anybody is able to freely contribute to news articles. They can, they can create a news article, they can edit a news article, and it's basically self-policing. Another example of this would be backfence.com. So now that we've gone through all the 11 layers of citizen journalism, you can see that there are, that it incorporates into traditional news media in different ways and, it, and to various extents. Which is interesting because there always seems to be this dichotomy portrayed to the public between citizen journalism and institutional journalism. But there isn't really a dichotomy because there's a lot of integration between the two. So now that we've talked about the unaccredited aspect of citizen journalism and the uncertified aspect of journalism, citizen journalism, I want to talk a little bit about the illegitimacy of citizen journalism. So is non-institutional news reporting legitimate, or is citizen journalism legitimate? Well, what does legitimate mean? There's a whole listing of legitimate uh, definitions here, but really only two apply in this case. That's our Legitimate is something that's according to the law or lawful, and something that's in accordance with established rules, principles, or standards. And so by this definition, citizen journalism is legitimate, because it is lawful and is done in accordance with established rules, principles, or standards. And one, someone might ask, well, who establishes those standards? Well, whoever the institution is. The Lethbridge Herald establishes what, it's, what, um, uh, what guidelines and standards that they use and their procedures they use. Global News establishes what guidelines they use. And of course, there are common guidelines that are used among the same media. Uh, Alberta News Organizations will try to encourage their members to use a lot of the same guidelines, but there isn't a lot of policing regarding that. And so if that's the case, then citizen journalism must be legitimate, or at least as legitimate as institutional journalism. So then it brings us to accountability, which Bev talked about in her introduction. How is citizen journalism kept accountable? Well, that's a good question, because despite the fact that citizen journalism is as accredited, as certified, and as legitimate as traditional outlets, readers still hold citizen journalism outlets to a higher standard regarding fact-checking, fact spelling, and even if they took, take an accusatory tone. These things are all things that Lethbridge News has been taken to task on, where if we make a spelling mistake we get rung through the coals. If we, if we misrepresent a, a fact, we don't necessarily get the fact wrong, but we misrepresent it, we get taken through the coals. If we respond to a sarcastic comment with sarcasm, we get taken through the coals. How is traditional journalism kept accountable? Well, if the media controls or moderates comments on their website, and roasts, and letters, and paper, is the public really able to keep them accountable? 
If the media has the freedom to ban people from commenting on its Facebook page, then theoretically Facebook cannot be used as a means of accountability. Possibly the only means of accountability for institutional journalism is blogging and microblogging sites, such as Twitter. But that accountability is limited to the size of the audience reached. So any Twitter user could hold the Lethbridge Herald, for example, uh, to account for something that they reported. But that accountability is only as effective as the number of followers that person has in their Twitter account. If that person has 25 followers, then that accountability doesn't really make much of a difference. If that person has 15,000 followers, well, it might make a little bit more of a difference. And so that's something to keep in mind. And just, I just wanted to give a few examples of areas where traditional media has got it wrong. So one example was uh, Adam Lanza, who was the person responsible for the shooting of several children and adults uh, in Newport, Connecticut, just a few months, Newtown, Connecticut, thank you, um, just a few months ago. And uh, at the time, um, it was important for the media to get information out as quickly as they possibly could. Because that's the world that we live in now. Is everybody's demanding information as quickly as possible. But in the process, incorrect information was disseminated. People, report, people went immediately to Facebook and found a picture of who they thought was Adam Lanza, when in fact, it was his brother. They also reported that Adam Lanza's mother was a teacher at the school, which was false as well. When we had the tornado in Tabor just a few months ago, one media outlet, one traditional media outlet in Lethbridge, took a picture of a hay shed in, in Tabor. And for those of you who are familiar with agriculture, you'll know that a lot of hay sheds have, are open on the front, so you can access the hay bales. They reported that the front had been whipped off by a, a tornado. Uh, just a few weeks ago, within just five minutes, four media outlets had tweeted tweets with spelling mistakes, and not a single person said anything about them. Uh, um, this past weekend, for three days, Lethbridge Herald's website was down, and nobody said anything about it. So these are just some of the examples where traditional institutional media makes mistakes, and they aren't held accountable to it. But if, if citizen journalists make the same mistakes, they are definitely held accountable accountable to it. So, finally, how has citizen journalism affected news in Lethbridge? Well, as I alluded to at the beginning of my presentation, when we started Lethbridge News, breaking news was lacking. In fact, a really good example is just as we're in the process of getting our news service started, uh, there was a plane crash at the Lethbridge Airport during the international uh, air show. And uh, none of the media, the media personalities who happened to be on Twitter at the time tweeted anything about it. I mean, we were lucky that we got a, a picture from one of the local reporters slash photographers, but that paper or that picture was never shared on social media until the Canadian press picked up the picture and then distributed it, and then people started sharing the picture as well. But the only people at the time, at, the, at least immediately, who were disseminating information were average citizens. They weren't citizen journalists per se, at least not in an official capacity, but they were still the only ones disseminating that information. 
And so at the time, there was no timely release of information um, from traditional media. And so that was something that, uh, that we felt Lethbridge News could, be, could provide. And what we see today is that Lethbridge News no longer distinguishes itself as being the provider of instant news because everybody does it. All the other news agencies provide instant news for the most part. They're really on top of whenever there's breaking news. And so that isn't something that differentiates us anymore. And it's not something that we, that we pride ourselves on and not something we market ourselves on as well. When we started Lethbridge News, our tagline was fresh, instant, local news. And we've changed it since, so now it's your news, your choice, your voice, because we didn't want to focus on that instant aspect because it wasn't anything that distinguished us anymore. Everybody did. So in that regard, um, news coverage in Lethbridge has been influenced. Some people might say it may have been a part of a broader trend of news agencies moving to Twitter, and that very, very well may be. But um, at the same time, we've also seen in Lethbridge, with Lethbridge News that every so often there will be stories that go out that nobody covers, and then as soon as we cover it, everybody's covering it. And it will be hours after we receive the release or the information has been made public. That hasn't happened. Most of the time, the news agencies in Lethbridge are pretty good about getting the timely information out. But every once in a while, that happens. And so we like to think that there's, um, there's, we've had a, a say in that. The other thing that I think that we Lethbridge News has been able to have an effect on is the validity, or the validization of the average person's um, role in the uh, dissemination of information. I think where this was probably the most um, obvious was the grass fires that we've had over the last couple years, um, where people were able to take pictures of the grass fires. They were able to update what was going on in their community. And that, that information was shared not only by us, but by traditional media outlets as well. And so finally, we come to popularity. As I already talked about, uh, Lethbridge News now has over 11,000 followers. And we think that that's, we've, you know, we've put in a lot of hard work and sacrificed a lot of time in making that possible. But the question remains, why is it popular? And I think really why Lethbridge News is so popular is because we legitimize information that's important to the public. We legitimize their photos by sharing their photos with other people. We legitimize their blog posts about events or news, or news, uh, news issues. We share the emails we receive from, the, from them, the information we receive in the emails, and we share the events that they, um, that they have created as well. We are not trying to get people to come to our website. For us, it's more important that the information is shared no matter where that information is stored. For us, we don't see ourselves as gatekeepers we see ourselves as more as traffic controllers. And being able to just, when we post about, for example, stuff that's coming up in city council meetings, we'll summarize what's happening and then give a link to the agenda so people can see for themselves all the details of what's happening now. So that's pretty much all I wanted to say about Lethbridge News and about citizen journalism. I'd be happy to answer your questions at the end. But just to remember, we're at leftnews.com. We're also on Facebook and Twitter. And we would be happy to have you um, come and join our little family on Lethbridge News. Thank you.